Well, good morning, uh, Grace Baptist Church. Good morning, beloved family and friends in Christ. Good morning. Now, warm welcome to our visitors and friends who are with us this morning. Uh, my name is Oliver and I serve as a pastor and as part of the team of elders here at Grace Baptist Church. If you just join us, we are in the second of a three-part series on building the body. And when we mean the body, we're talking about the body of Christ, the church. These messages will cover 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14. In these chapters, Paul speaks concerning the use of spiritual gifts. And Paul emphasizes three key truths about Christians in the church in his writing. And these are the three things he emphasizes. Who we are in relation to one another, how we should relate to one another, and what we should do when we gather with one another. You know, Eugene covered the first part last Sunday, and Mark will focus on the third part next Sunday. For today, we'll focus on uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll see how the Bible emphasizes and tells us how believers should relate to one another in the church. But before we get into today's message, let us pray. Blessed Father God, who has caused the Bible to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear, read, learn, heed, and inwardly digest your word. We pray that through the encouragement of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, LifeWay, a US Christian publishing house, in 2019, did a research on why people leave the church. And one of the top five reasons Christians give for leaving the church is that the people in the church hurt them. Many leave the church because of personal hurts from relational conflicts and divisions. And some of us present here have had some experience with divisions and relational conflicts. We have known this hurt as well. The inspired Word of God, as written by Paul to the church in Corinth, speaks to this situation. God's Word instructs us on how believers should relate to one another in the church. Because so many people have uh, chosen to read 1 Corinthians 13 during wedding ceremonies, Many of us think that this passage talks about love between a husband and a wife. But this was not the primary purpose of this passage. While it can still be applied indirectly to a marriage relationship, this passage applies most directly to spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts and their use in the church. You see, my friends, the church at Corinth, by all accounts, it was a gifted church but it was also a divided church. It does have other sin issues, but one of the main sin issues that they were facing is that they were like their surrounding Greek culture. They valued gifted speakers, gifted orators, and gifted philosophers. The members of the Corinthian church emphasized spiritual giftedness and valued gifted teachers and preachers almost as celebrities. Sound familiar? Much of the Western church is, is this way as well. 
The Christians at Corinth caused division at church by pledging their allegiances to different celebrities, with each group claiming to be better than the others. And as party spirits you know, began to grow in the church, you know, as the game of one-upmanship occurred, you know, one would say that he is for Peter and Peter is better, and I say that he is for Apollos and Apollos is better. And one of the celebrities that they, they claimed to follow was Paul himself. You know, some of the believers at Corinth claimed to be his followers. And then Paul, having heard of this situation, wrote 1 Corinthians 13 as a rebuke to the Corinthian church. Paul instructs them on how they should relate to one another in the church. Beloved, how should we relate to one another in the church? Here, Paul's reprimand, as I read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 13, this passage is found in page 902 of the Pew Bibles. So if you want to take a physical Bible, you can take the Pew Bible in front of you. Now, I'll start by reading the verse before, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 31. And I will show you still, uh, show you a still more excellent way. Paul tells us as those who pursue giftedness and excellence that he will now tell us an even better way. And 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 and following tells us the better way. So follow with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I taught like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now faith, hope and love abide, this tree. But the greatest of these is love. Spiritual gifts are given to the church for the good of and to build up the whole body of Christ. But without love, we cannot build together. The church, which is Christ's body, 
grows as it builds itself up in unity and love. So for those of you who, who love to have a big idea, the big idea for today's passage is, without love, we cannot build the body of Christ together. Without love, we cannot build the body of Christ together. And there are three sections for today's passage. The first section from verses 1 to 3 gives our worthless without love. And from verses 4 to 7, so love one another. And lastly, the last part, verses 8 to 13, because love lasts. So give our worthless without love, so love one another, because love lasts. So please follow with me in your Bibles as we look at these 13 verses today. Give worthless without love, verses 1 to 3. You know, this to me was a really hard passage to, to study and prepare for. It wasn't because that it's, it's so familiar and many of us have heard this passage usually in the context of wedding. But I think these verses here are incredibly exposing of my own heart. It exposes the lack of love and the sinfulness that is still present. So I have a confession to make. You know, the longer I am in ministry, the easier I find it is to rely on experience and competence to say the right word to others. You know, you've been in ministry for 12 years, you know the things to say, people come to you, you know almost what to say in response. You know, so I'm sometimes tempted to rely on competence and giftedness and to ignore the disconnect between what I say and what is in my heart. But Paul tells us that spiritual gifts are worthless without love. And the disconnect between the exercise of my ministry gifts and my hearts grieve me, and I've spent time reflecting and seeking repentance. Because, beloved, Giftedness does not equate to godliness. Character is more important than competence. And we see this in the first three verses of chapter 13. But before we look at each verse with greater detail, uh, there are two observations about these sections. So if you scan through these three verses, these verses are written with the if and but structure. So what Paul does is he lists a hypothetical then saying that even if we were to possess this thing, but not love, it is worthless. Secondly, these statements are what we call hyperbole, meaning they are exaggerated statements and claims not to be taken literally. You know, they, uh, they are overstatements, and this is evident as we look at verse 2, because it is literally impossible to understand all mysteries and all knowledge because only God has this kind of understanding. So with this understanding on how to look, read these three verses, let's apply this, this understanding to the statements in these three, first three verses. So bearing these two points in mind, let's hear from Paul again. So Paul, making a hypothetical statement, an overstatement, says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul tells us that no matter what spiritual gift the Holy Spirit enables a person to have and use, it is of no profit or value unless it is used in love. The most impressive speech, faith or personal sacrifices without love equal nothing. The most impressive speaker without love is like a little child, you know, repeatedly, chaotically and loudly clanging a symbol. The person with the ability to foretell the future with remarkable smarts to understand and answer all questions or have faith to perform great miracles without love, they are nothing. The giver with incredible generosity uh, and able to make great sacrifices uh, to the extent of being burned as a martyr, but have not love, they gain nothing. What a stinging rebuke to the church at Corinth. And what a rebuke and reminder for us. Because note here, it's not that you, if you do not have love, what you do is of lesser value. Paul actually tells us in verse 2 and 3, you, if you have not love, you are nothing, you gain nothing. No, it's, it's critical to understand chapter 13 in its literary context. While it applies indirectly to a marriage relationship, this passage, these three verses, applies most directly to the use of spiritual gifts. And this is the issue being addressed in these three chapters, chapter 12 to 14. So Paul is telling us is this, even the most spectacular gifts are worthless without love. Imagine with me, you know, Paul's words in chapter, chapter 13 would have shocked the Corinthians because they were abusing the gift of tongues by wrong, wrongly elevating it as more important than other gifts. They were not using it in love to edify and build up others. Paul challenged what they and what we value. Paul tells us if we use spiritual gifts without love, it is nothing. Now, while it's original context, it means spiritual gifts specifically, but this can also be broadened to mean any God-given talents, gifts, skill or competency. And then this then speaks to us as Singaporeans. Do we emphasize godliness rather than giftedness? Do we value character rather than competence? You know, chapter 13 is the glue between chapter 12 and 14. Only when spiritual gifts are used with love can believers genuinely serve one another for the praise of God's name. Beloved, you know, the Singapore culture in which we live in values what we do and can do. You know, it values what it produces. It rewards productivity and outcomes. Do we emphasize godliness rather than giftedness? Do we value character rather than competence? Beloved, as we start 2023, let us resolve to grow not in just skills and competence, but rather grow in love and character. You know, it's good to use and grow in our giftedness and skills as we serve the Lord. But remember, all our abilities are worthless 
without the heart's motivation of love. So let us now, as we start 2023, resolve to grow in godliness this year. That's for us individually, but what about uh, this application for us as a corporate body? One area in which this applies into is what are our criteria for selecting our elders and leaders as a body of Christ here at Grace Baptist Church? You know, 1 Timothy and Titus list the qualification of elders. And if we look at the list, there's only one competency given in that two lists. That is being apt to teach. If you study the rest of the list, the, the lists are character qualities. It's not that potential elders and leaders are to be perfect in these character qualities, but they should be seeking to grow in these areas. So, beloved, how do we select our leaders? Do we focus on godliness and character? And beloved, I urge you to continue to pray for your elders to be faithful and to grow in godliness and character, not just to pray for ministry accomplishments. At Grace, we also have a priority of elders and this is set up to guard against the pursuit of spiritual giftedness and ministry outcomes without love. You know, recently, over the last quarter of last year, uh, we were making a decision and I was, uh, as an elders team, we were faced with an important decision and we were trying to make that decision. And I was heartened that God collectively used the elders, you know, uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that uh, uh, loved the body in the recent decision. We wanted to make a decision that was biblically and logically the right decision. And if we had made the decision, it would achieve the desired ministry outcomes we wanted for the church. But the elders adjusted the decision so that love for and grace towards the body was more evident. And, and that's the beauty of being in a, a plurality, a team of elders because we have various ones that check on, uh, and help one another uh, and spur one another on towards godliness. And at this point here, sometimes we, we don't mention it enough. I want to make special mention and thank God for Chong Tian for being part of the elder team. Because he was, in this decision, he was really helpful to guide us towards love and grace. He's indeed a man of sincerity and love for this body of Christ. And he helps us as a team to grow in love. So let us then love one another, verses 4 to 7. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 to 7 is one of the passages that's often found on greeting cards. You know, even in non-Christian settings, they will actually put this uh, passage on greeting cards. This description of love often moves our hearts and stir our emotions. However, the goal of these verses is not just to make us feel sentimental, after telling us that spiritual gifts without love are nothing, Paul then described what love looks like. In the context of addressing the church at Corinth, he describes what, that love is a call to the believers then to be examine themselves. We are called to introspection. We have to examine ourselves again what love is. And Paul describes this for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 and following. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The true measure of spiritual maturity is love. In these verses, Paul describes love by personifying it with 16 action verbs. Love actually does something. Love forbears, it acts mercifully, it does not enviously want what other people have, it does not brag or boast, it does not puff up, it does not act obscenely or unkindly, it does not demand its own way, it does not become irritable or angry, it does not, does not strive to get even with others, it does not delight in injustice, it rejoices with the truth, it endures anything for the sake of the gospel. It generally, generously believes the best about others rather than being sinfully cynical. It, want, it wants others to flourish. It keeps on enduring. It lasts forever. Love does something. But as we look at this, we realize that love is also relational. You can only act out these verbs when you are in relationship with others. Beloved, even as we resolve to grow in godliness and character, let us examine ourselves with this description of love as given in verses 4 to 7. What are some areas that you and I need to grow in? What are some areas that we need to grow in as a church? Growth in godliness requires regular reflection and introspection. So let us examine ourselves against this description of love. And let this not only inform us, but convict us of our sins when we fail to love. Let us repent for the times we have not loved one another well, seeking God's forgiveness and the forgiveness of others. And then pray for God the Spirit to change us. We can only put into practice love in a relationship with one another. Therefore, if you hear from the elders, we urge us as Grace Baptist Church together in the corporate gatherings of the church. We understand that some of us may have valid reasons when we have to give the assembling a miss, but as far as possible, let us gather together for our worship services for a quarterly congregation meeting, one which is happening after this service right today, and prayer meetings. Let us gather so that we can increasingly know one another better, so that we can strengthen relationships and gives us opportunity to exercise love for one another. You know, sometimes we hurt each other when we gather. And we have experienced it. But remember, brothers and sisters, we are redeemed sinners. And as sinners, we will sometimes rub each other the wrong way. You know, the late pastor and author Eugene Peterson was once asked why he went to church. And his reply, I go to church to be irritated. <laughs> what he meant was this, is that as redeemed sinners, we are not there yet in our growth in love and godliness. So, 
as we deem sinners, as sinners, as we interact with one another, there will be relational differences, there will be challenges, we'll sin against one another. These things are bound to happen as we interact. But even when these challenges come and when we get irritated, these are precisely opportunities for us to exercise our love muscles and to grow in patience and love. This is when we can learn to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. Beloved, there are many other ways we can love and build the church body in 2023 as we gather together. You know, we can extend hospitality to others in our groups, in our homes. We can host and lead CGs. We can meet on one-on-ones in, or in smaller groups to read the Bible and pray for one another. We can also be involved as a team in outreach to the community. These are opportunities for us to exercise the love verbs of verses 4 to 8. So beloved, what are some practical ways we can love and build the body of Christ here at Grace Baptist Church in 2023. Let us gather and do this as we obey the love instructions of 1 Corinthians 13. Finally, verses 8 to 13 as we look at it, because love lasts. You know, with the recent economic challenges, some financial advisors were telling investors to buy precious metals like gold and silver. It's because these precious metals hold their value over time and last. But Paul, in this last section of this passage, talks of something else of even greater value and permanence. Love. 1 Corinthians 13.8 Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I taught like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. But even as I have been fully known, so now faith, hope and love abide, this three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul tells us what is permanent and lasting, that love never ends. Now all the spiritual gifts that he's, he's been talking about in the uh, 1 Corinthians, they will pass away when the perfect comes. And the question for us here, what does the perfect here means in verse 12? Okay. Uh, there's one view that the perfect here is the canon of Scripture, uh, but I hold to uh, another view, which I think is a better understanding, and that is to take the perfect to mean Jesus Christ. And this interpretation is supported by verse 12. Because verse 12 tells us we know partially but we were fully known uh, when the perfect comes. And that only occurs when Jesus Christ returns. So we know partially, but when Jesus Christ returns, we will know fully, just as Christ knows us. So spiritual gifts will pass away at Jesus Christ's second return. And Paul contrasts this present age with the age to come. 
love is superior to spiritual gifts because love never ends. You know, love is not a spiritual gift, but it is essential and crucial for using them. Prophecies, tongues, knowledge will end because they will no longer be necessary for the age to come when Jesus Christ returns. You know, at this point of salvation history between Jesus Christ's first and second coming, what we do know is only partial. And what we prophesy is only partial. But that partial understanding will pass away where completeness comes. That is, when Jesus Christ returns. Our knowledge now is like a child, but our knowledge later will be just like that of an adult. We indirectly see a reflection now, but later we will see Jesus Christ face to face. Sin hinders us now from knowing more fully, but later sin will no longer hinder us. Our knowledge now compared to understanding when Jesus returns will almost be like being outside in pitch darkness with a torchlight now compared to being outside when the sun is shining brightly. Just as we will no longer need a torchlight when the sun is shining brightly, we will no longer need spiritual gifts such as tongues and prophecy when Jesus returns. Paul then ends this section with the last verse with the common of faith, hope and love. These three words together to demonstrate that love is superior. The qualities of trusting God for what we cannot see, faith, and confidently expecting God to do what He promised, that is hope, they are temporary. Now we walk by faith, but when Jesus returns, beloved, we will walk by sight because we will see Him face to face. Now we hope for what we cannot see, but when Jesus returns, we will no longer need to hope for because we do see Him then. In this sense, faith and hope will be unnecessary when completeness comes, when Jesus Christ returns. But love never ends. This should not be surprising since among faith, hope and love, only love is an attribute of God. When Jesus Christ the perfect returns, we will be in the presence of a loving God forevermore. You know, beloved, as I said, this, this although a familiar passage, I, I did struggle when I was preparing for this or speaking to some of the pastoral staff as asking for prayer because as I, I was preparing this, I realized how far I am from the measure of love given by Paul. But I, I also had questions as we seek to grow in love, as we seek to obey God, how do I guard against this passage, love commands becoming legalistic and merely an exercise in moral improvements? Now, being convicted, we could just go and say, okay, these are some rules to follow and we're going to just follow them you know, and that will be fine. Uh, but this will encourage us towards legalism and moral improvement. So how do we guard against that? The hint of this answer is in verses 8 to 13. When the perfect comes, that is when Jesus Christ returns to fulfill all of God's promises entirely. This is a gospel promise. What we see 
in the pattern of Paul's letter to the Corinthians is this same pattern. He states a spiritual problem that the church is facing dealing and dealing with, and the solution he gives is the gospel and a particular specific application of it. And I'm indebted to pastor and theologian Stephen Um for his insight on how the gospel relates to this specific passage. He tells us this, he writes this, If love is to be love, if love will be the love we desire, crave and long for, it will be necessary to have it come from outside us. And this is why Paul suggests that love is categorically different and permanently significant. Love happens outside of us. Love happens to us. Love is not merely the words we say, nor the feelings we feel, or even the deeds we do. It's something more significant than all of that. And only this kind of love can redefine and transform our lives. If love must be outside us to remain the love we want it to be, then only God Himself is the only one fit for this role of love. And what does God as love say? Love says that you are not noise. I hear you. I understand you. Love says, I know you all the way through. And despite your deepest fears, you are not nothing. You are precious. Love says, you are worth giving away everything I have. Love even says to us, I would die for you. Do we have anything less than this in the good news that has been proclaimed to us in Jesus Christ? Jesus looked at all our issues, our sin, our lovelessness, our terrible efforts at love, and whatever mess we have made most recently, and says simply, and that says not simply, I will die for you. But he did die for us. It is really done. Jesus became nothing so that we would know that we are not nothing. In this way, God, after all, is love and fills life with all the necessary meaning and power to be transformed that we crave. Love is not an abstract moral principle we should strive after. Love is a person. So instead of hearing what we need to do for God or others, we need to hear and heed what love, what Jesus Christ has done for us. This is God's posture towards us in all our brokenness. In love, God is patient with us, the sinner. In love, God is kind to us. In love, God bears the believers upon His shoulders. In love, God endures all our ways that are unendurable. His love never ends. Now, this beautiful impossibility of love is a beautiful possibility in the hands of God. Now, suppose love is the primary game that humans play. In that case, uh, the one uh, the game that people expend all their time, energy, words, thoughts, and action on, the gospel then is a declaration that this game is over. Because this game has already been won. In Christ, the creator of this game of love has stepped into the playing field through what looked like the most tragic loss in history. A loss that includes Jesus Christ's death, crucifixion and death on the cross. 
Jesus has accomplished the ultimate victory. A victory sealed by His defeat of death in His resurrection. Death is no more. He has been raised again. And this is how we know that love never ends. Love has already beaten death. Love killed death at the cross. The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 4, verses 8 to 10, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or atoning sacrifice for our sins. I want to address our, my non-Christian friends. There may be some of us here who have not yet placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you genuinely want to know love and to be able to love others well, then I invite you to know the one who is love. Acknowledge that you have not loved God or others well. This is what the Bible calls sin. Believe that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place as, a, uh, as an atoning sacrifice for your sin. Confess that you have put your faith and reliance on God who is love and who has provided you with a way out of sin and lovelessness through His Son, Jesus Christ. If this is your desire, you can speak to any of the elders here at Grace Baptist Church or to your Christian friend. We will be glad to share God's love in the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. And I speak now to those who the church has hurt. You know, I, I am I'm truly sorry. You know, believers, we too are redeemed sinners. As much as we strive, we still do sin right now, even as we wait for the perfect to come. You know, I, I know I am a sinner. And I encourage you to turn to the one who is truly love, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. For those of you who are hurt, I pray that you may know the love, healing and restoration we can only find in this person of love, Jesus Christ. I also speak to those like me who are acutely aware of our failure to love well. We start off well, but even this morning as we are making our way to church, we have, may have spoken a kind word to our family members. Even as we enter the church, we may have unkind thoughts to church members in this church. You know, and we are clearly aware we fail to love well. But the good news of the gospel is this, that there is forgiveness for those of us who fail to love. Jesus Christ has already paid for our lovelessness. And there is hope. We will finally be able to love perfectly when Jesus Christ returns. But in the meantime, we repent, we confess our sins, and we trust that we can change and we strive to change through the equipping and empowering of the indwelling Holy Spirit working in us. Beloved, why should we as believers love other members of the church body? 
is because God first loved us in Christ. Therefore, we love the body. Without love, we cannot build the body of Christ together. So remember, spiritual gifts, our competencies, our skills, they are worthless without love. So love one another. Build one another in truth and love because love lasts. Love, as described in 1 Corinthians 13, is best understood as a way of life. Live in imitation of Jesus Christ, enabled uh, by Jesus Christ, and this life is focused not on ourselves, but on the other, on the person of love, Jesus Christ, and for the good of others. So let us, beloved, rely on God's Spirit and learn to love well.